to the class I took last week, legal ethics. Um, yeah, kidding. <laughs> and so you're taking this, you know, and I found myself last week in this situation. Uh, but I was in this class uh, for three hours on legal ethics. Interesting. And, and they posed various um, ethical scenarios, dilemmas that, that lawyers face, like, and, and to ask you, how do you handle these things? Like, uh, okay, a lawyer and an IRS agent are drowning and you can only save one. Do you A, go to lunch, or B, read the paper? My wife always tells me, you, you can't be picking on lawyers all the time. You can't be doing, I mean, I think I can because I am one, right? Um, she's like, these are people's professions. So anyway, any lawyers out there? Well, actually, any IRS agents out there, sorry. Um, but let me get to the point. I was at this course, and um, there were many things discussed, but one of the biggest ones, issues that the Virginia Bar brings up, according to this representative who was there from the bar, one of the biggest issues they, they face is conflict of interest. Okay, so this is where you, you're a lawyer and you have two clients and suddenly they end some kind of a conflict with each other. And so what do you do with that situation? And it, it, this issue is definitely a thorny one in many respects. If you've been a lawyer uh, and involved with a client in a complex trial, for instance, or something like that, and a conflict arises you know, right before trial that conflicts you out of it, your client's got a real problem, right? Because you're the guy who prepared everything and so forth. So yeah, there are issues here. Um, but... What was interesting to me was that the, uh, the, the, state, the woman from the state bar uh, noted that the disciplinary issues that they see here most often don't come up from such scenarios like that. Most often it's a lawyer uh, who just doesn't want to give up the business. They want to find any way possible around the rules to say, hey, I, I want to have both of these clients, I don't want to send that money out the door to someone else, all right? So they look at this, this rule, okay? You don't need to read it, but I, I'm in this room full of people, uh, very, very intelligent, highly knowledgeable, well-educated people, all these lawyers, right? And they're all wrestling with these questions. How do we, you know, how do we um, interpret the directly adverse? What might that be? Or, or what is significant risk? Or, or material, um, materially limited, things like that. And, and they're going through these things and, and like, looking for ways, you know, to, to wrestle with this. And everyone's struggling because their knowledge isn't addressing the issue. Um, and that's, that's what I want to get to at the heart of this, of this the reason I'm telling you this, this story. Uh, what, what's happening is that you have smart people applying human knowledge to a problem that is only resolved through godly wisdom, okay? The point I'm, I'm going to make here, and, and, and if nothing else, just take this. If there's one point here at issue, it's wisdom that's from God, and that's what we're talking about today, wisdom. We're talking about godly wisdom. We're talking about demonstrating wisdom in, in, in the Getz book, chapter 5. Wisdom that's from God is not measured by depth of knowledge, it's measured by depth of character. So when you come to a situation like this, uh, for instance, I've just laid out there, um, the answer isn't going to come from thinking your way through the rules. It's going to come from, from actually engaging in the word we're going to talk about today at length, uh, self-control, controlling your greed. 
There's one right decision in these situations, and it's letting the client go. So uh, I was struck by this as I went through. Um, so let's, let's move on. <coughs> so we're, all, we're in chapter uh, 1 Timothy 3.2. We're going to be in this one verse probably for how long now? I mean, we've got a few more weeks of it. We're gonna, I think we're going to get through two verses this entire semester, so we're going at a Marty pace. It's amazing. Um, and, we're in one, and we're at that word, prudent. Okay, um, so an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach. Now, I've, I've spent a lot of time yesterday uh, on that, looking at that word prudent. Um, in, in the Greek, it's sophron, and it means pertaining to being in control of oneself, prudent, thoughtful, self-controlled. Okay, what I put up there is the NASB reading, what I brought with me today is the NIV reading because I actually think the NIV gets this uh, is more accurate here. Whoa! <laughs> can I drop? Can I drop the mic? <laughs> um, seriously, it can be a little bit. <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, so the NIV actually interprets it self-controlled, um, and, and that's that's when I looked at this word. Uh, that is a, 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 a sort of the predominant reading, the predominant interpretation, the predominant gloss that we see when we see Sophron used in the Bible, and even outside of the Bible in contemporary texts from the time. Um, so I want to go through. Getz gives us a couple of illustrative uses. Uh, I put some of these uh, in, in your notes. Um, let's see if I can get to it. Uh, Romans 12.3, for, for though... Through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound as God has allocated each a measure of, to each a measure of faith. Okay, that, that word sound judgment there is sophron. Actually, it's sophreo, the verbal form. Um, NIV calls, interprets this as alert, and, and, but ESV again talks about self-controlled. Um, and, and, and that makes sense here, because when you think about it, What God's telling us with this passage has to do with what? It has to do with humility. We're going to come back to that in a little bit, right? Humility is controlling what? It's controlling your ego, okay? Controlling your ego is a part, as Getz lays out in his chapter, uh, to having godly wisdom, to exercising godly wisdom, along with, with prayer, Okay, and a long list, and a couple other things. Um, uh, he also talks about First uh, uh, Peter four seven. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So here again, uh, NIV interprets this as alert. ESV again is self controlled. I, I know I'm going through this sort of plottingly, but I want you to to see that the, the way this word's being used. Uh, and, the, and the emphasis on, on self-control. Um, uh, so, so here we have First um, Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Again, discipline there uh, is self-control or self-discipline, depending on which version you look at. But it's still the same idea, okay? Uh, God's given us a power of self-control, so we have the power in him to exercise this godly control in our lives. Um, 
But I want to get um, into where I saw this in the Greek Septuagint. Okay, so what I did was I, I looked at how this word was used elsewhere. Now, it's here, no, Maccabees is not part of the inspired biblical canon. Okay? But it's still very instructive for us. It's part of the Apocrypha. Uh, and for our purposes this morning, uh, it's very helpful because it's a contemporary book talking about the same language, how it was used at the time, and it tells us a lot about it. And you're going to see why in a minute, I hope. Um, I found this to be so interesting. Um, so here, this is from 4 Maccabees 2.2. Okay? And um, in Maccabees, in this whole chapter, uh, what the author's talking about is, is God's, um, is the, the need to address ungodly emotions with what he calls reason. Okay, this is not enlightenment reason. This is, this is godly wisdom. You've got to think back, what's the context of Maccabees and what it's been, when it's the time it's being written. And he's talking about godly wisdom and the need to control ungodly emotions, the need to control anger, the need to control hate, the, the need to control lust, these sorts of things. And the, the whole chapter goes through that. And he, he had, There's one reference in here, and there's multiple references um, uh, to, to the word saffron throughout this. But I, pointed out, I want to point out two to you. Um, this reference is, by this, therefore, the sensible, that's saffron, self-control, Joseph is praised in reason, and by thinking he maintained control over physical pleasure. So obviously this is a reference to Joseph's strength when he resists uh, Potiphar's wife. Um, and he's talking about, again, self-control, trolling his, his, uh, his urges. Um, but but a, another illustration I actually like more uh, comes from uh, 4 Maccabees 3.16 here. Um, Therefore, setting desire against reason, again, reason being godly wisdom, he poured out the drink to God. For the sensible mind is capable to conquer the compulsions of the emotions and quell the flames made of desire. Okay. That's a reference to David in, uh, in, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, and it's also in 1 Chronicles. When David goes, uh, he, he's fighting with his mighty men, the Philistines. Okay? And, and at the end of the day, he's parched. He's extremely thirsty. And his men see this. And three of his men love him so much that they say, we want to address this. And they, they, they go and they actually sneak into the Philistine camp and they get water for him and they bring it back to him. So they, they really, they put their lives at jeopardy uh, f- for this. Okay, so, so that's the background, and, and so, so uh, 2 Samuel 23, 15 through 17 says, David had a craving and said, Oh, that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke uh, through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord and said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of men who went in jeopardy of their lives? And therefore he would not drink it. This demonstrates at least two things as I, that I picked up from it as we look at this issue of, of wisdom. Okay? Um, first, David's response doesn't seem to make sense, does it? Um, these mighty men of David, okay, they, they, they see him parched. Okay, they see him thirsty. They risk their lives to go in there to get him water, to bring it back. They, give, they present him with the water, okay? And he's so humbled by the act 
he dumps it out? Does that make any sense? It, 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 it doesn't if you're thinking of it from a common sense perspective. But we're not. See, this is the other thing. Godly wisdom is not common sense. Common sense is something that's driven by uh, cultural influences and everything else, and it can be different no matter where you are. Um, but more than that, it's often driven. Common sense here would say, David, drink the water. You have it. You're thirsty. Maybe send the guys back for more. If it was that easy. I don't know if it was easy, but apparently they got away with it, right? Um, but he doesn't. He pours the water out as a drink offering to the Lord. Um, and so in this sense, David shows his honor of God, and he models humility for his men by exercising godly wisdom in this way that seems kind of strange if you first look at it. Um, the other takeaway from the story, uh, I think, has to do with David's character. Uh, David, again, is not acting here out of worldly intellect. It's not some deep understanding of, of knowledge, some military strategy that he's drawing on or anything like that. He's, 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 he's acting out of love and devotion to God. And maybe that's the whole point. He's acting out of the power of the Holy Spirit working through him and telling him this is the right thing to do. Okay, And so here he is with this incredible thirst just parched kind of like I am right now, uh, <laughs> um, parched thirst. And it's not like drinking the water would be a sin. It's not like the desire that he's quenching is, is, is lust or something like that. But he says, no, I'm going, to, I'm going to control that so that I can do the godly thing. Um, so, as we said, he's, 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 he's acting out of love and devotion uh, and to exercise self-control. So again, it, it, to me, it demonstrates for us that godly wisdom stems from what? Depth of character, right? And not depth of knowledge. Um, so I'm not saying that people with godly wisdom lack knowledge. Not at all. Um, I am saying... Okay, and this may be true of some of you in this room, and it can be true of me. I am saying that people with knowledge can lock godly wisdom. Um, if we forget who's in control, who gave us our brains, who gave us the ability to do anything, and um, don't control our lives. Um, so Getz puts it this way, A prudent man is a humble man who knows that all he has, his gifts, his abilities, his possessions, is from God. Without our creator, we could not speak, write, walk, make decisions, or breathe. We would not be alive. And most of all, we would not have, what? Eternal life, right. I, think, I love that quote. Um, uh, humility here, um, as, as, as Getz says, is one of these signs that he points out. Again, the other one being prayer and, and, and some other ones in there. One of these signs of, of godly wisdom, but I, I submit to you again, it comes back to a need uh, for self-control. <laughs> I will not drink it, but I'm not going to pour it out because I'll get in trouble if I do that. You, you realize this is a theological problem. I, uh, I can't. I can't have the water. Thank you. Bless you, brother. Um, 
<laughs> I'm going to wrap this up here. Um, humility is, is just one sign of godly wisdom upon which we need to, to, to have self-control. Uh, but there's plenty of others. You can find them in Galatians 5, and 23, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. The opposite is true. If these are lacking in our lives, it may be a sign uh, of an absence or a lacking of godly wisdom, of self-control. Um, so the question is, where do you lack self-control? That's where we flip over to the other side of the coins in Galatians, right? Okay, well, do you lack it with impurity, idolatry, enmity, strife, anger, jealousy, and drunkenness? We probably all have issues somewhere. And this is what I hope you'll, uh, you'll explore this morning. Um, so with that said... All of these things require godly wisdom. And godly wisdom, the word here is self-control. And self-control comes when we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But it requires us to do something too. It requires us to trust God with things that maybe we don't ordinarily trust him with, and it requires us to draw on him for his strength. Um, So, the lawyer or the tax agent, which one is it? They both need a savior. Um, the common sense thing might seem to go to lunch. Indifference, though, is another thing we need to control. The godly thing would say, jump in and try to save both. Okay? I want to wrap up with uh, some questions here. How does our ability to maintain self-control and demonstrate wisdom relate to God? What role does he play? What role do we play? In areas of your life, do you lack self-control? If you said none, might one be sharing an untruth? Just saying. What factors lead to your struggle in this area? And what one thing can you do today to gain safe self-control over one area of your life? Um, I'm going to say, I just want one very quick story I want to share with you, and then I'm going to stop. Because this can be hard. (laughs) Yesterday, I was in here, here at church, and I was preparing this message. I woke up um, yesterday morning, and um, I was in prayer, and I decided to fast for our brother, Keiko Alumho. Uh, he's going and facing a trial this week uh, that is um, very important and very difficult for him. So I was fasting for him. Um, and I went to church, and I was sitting here in one of the offices, and I was just trying to work my way through this, this, what these words are. Um, and I was wrapped up into it, and it's self-control, self-control, self-control. And I got up, and I immediately walked over, and I go to Melissa's desk, and I grab a mint and stick it in my mouth. Then I sat down, and I went, wait a minute. I'm fasting and writing about self-control. And I get up and walk over and get a mint. Uh, it's hard. We get tripped up. That old man that Marty talked about last week on Sunday, okay, it turns out that, that um, Bruce Willis is not the only old man who dies hard. So it's a fight, and I want you to be encouraged that you can do this, that we can do this. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you that you give us the strength uh, to be followers. We thank you that you give us all we need to be self-controlled. We thank you that you've given us the light that we can walk in and the choice that we can make for you. We pray that we would walk in that light this week, that we would be self-controlled, that we would be a model for those around us, And most of all, Lord, above all things, that we would be a blessing to you. Yes, this in Jesus' name. Amen.